Hey y'all, welcome back to Asked by Ayana. Hope you're having a wonderful Wednesday, if that's the day that you're listening. I'm joined today by Zara Hannawalt, who is a freelance writer. And I feel like that's one of the jobs that so many people that I know, especially once you like reach adulthood, is a dream job. Um, I don't do as much like freelance writing anymore, but I get questions about it all the time. So I am so excited to have you on. Zara, thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, so you've written for so many amazing publications, and I was just creeping your LinkedIn before this. Don't mind me. Um, can you explain, though, like what kind of writing you do? Um, and I, I just feel like freelance writer is such a broad term, you know, like just to kind of explain what it actually looks like for you. Sure. So the first ed- experience that I had in this editorial world was actually an internship. I interned at 17. So that kind of fed me into covering lifestyle, you know, things like entertainment, style, culture, all of that kind of umbrella stuff that appears in magazines that so many of us grew up reading. It's kind of transitioned, though. I've really started covering parenting more than anything else in the past, I would say, seven years, which is kind of funny because, like I said, I have two three-year-old twins Um, So I haven't been a mom for seven years. I was definitely sort of professionally talking about parenting before I was thinking about it personally. But that is kind of my main focus now. And I also still dabble in entertainment style culture coverage as well. That's so interesting because I feel like um, so much of my parenting experience has been Googling things and trying to figure out like, what's legit and what's just like, I don't know, like SEO keyword. (laughs) There's nothing of value here. So that's, that's super interesting. So did you know that you went to be a writer from a young age? I always ask writers this and the answer is almost always yes. So I love asking the question to, to find out where people stood. I would say yes. And then no. And then yes, again, (laughs) It's probably gone back and forth more times than that. But um, I grew up, my parents are both immigrants from India. My dad's a doctor. You've heard the stereotypes. In my case, a lot of them were true. I definitely grew up in a world where traditional markers of success were really upheld. So be a doctor, be a lawyer, maybe get an MBA if you want to get really crazy. But journalism wasn't really something that people around me were talking about too much. I was really lucky. My parents were a little bit different. I think they picked up very early on that I was more artistically inclined. I loved to read. Like I read constantly growing up. And I always did really love to write. But I would say probably around the time I turned 14 and I was a freshman in high school, I figured I'm going to channel this into going to law school. And that was the plan. I went into college completely set on, I'm going to come out of school. I'm going to go be a lawyer, practice for a little while. And maybe I'll like write a book at some point. Like maybe I'll take the Emily Giffen route and I'll take a year while practicing law. And I'll just like somehow manage to work full days and then go home and write a book and publish it. And it'll be great. But um, I quickly realized that being a lawyer wasn't what it looked like in the movies. And I don't think it would quite be enough to scratch that creative itch I had. When I was in college, I completely on a whim decided to apply to a few magazines for internships. And like I said, I got one at 17. So that kind of fed me into this. And 
I've pretty much never looked back since. And when you were at um, seven, by the way, I also considered going to law school while in J school because I knew that my parents would kind of be like, okay, she's like going to do something with this journalism degree. And same thing. I was like, I don't think that this is for me, uh, which in retrospect, I'm like, that would have been a lot of debt. <laughs> so I'm glad that I did not uh, did not take that route, knowing that I wouldn't be a lawyer. But um, I'm just curious, like when you were at 17 and in college, were you thinking about like going into print journalism? Because I feel like at least for me personally speaking, there was a point in college where I was like, that may not be a thing in a few years, <laughs> which obviously it is just not on the same scale, but enough about me. Um, I'm just curious, like what that looked like. Yeah. You know, I actually really credit getting that first internship to the fact that it was 2008 when I was applying and I saw that they were looking for print interns and that they were also looking for web interns. And I applied to both. Had I only applied to that print internship, I don't think I would have gotten it because I had never, I hadn't written for the school paper. I hadn't done anything. I have no idea why they even interviewed me for that internship. But I think because it was the web section and people weren't really thinking about careers in digital journalism quite as much then, um, I think I was able to sort of stand out among a smaller pool. And I pretty much immediately knew that digital was more where I wanted to be. I loved the immediacy of it. I loved how independently I could work. I wasn't writing a piece and then waiting for five months to see it published. I was writing a piece and it was going live that same day, which is, it's kind of funny because I wasn't technologically savvy at the time. I never really considered myself, but yeah, digital just kind of seemed to click pretty early on. Yeah, I, I feel like the instant gratification of being able to write something and then like publish it right away is um, very different from print where your story may be on hold because breaking news happens and that takes precedence. Like I, I totally feel the same way about it. So how did you end up freelance? Because again, I think that that's the part that really pulls people in being able to do this from the comfort of your home without a boss kind of deciding what you're writing. Like you have a lot of freedom there, but, but what did that look like? Yeah. I mean, it's a tough one because nobody really tells you how to become a freelancer. Yeah. There's really no classes. There's no like major body of advice out there. I did go to journalism school and we talked a little bit about it there, but I think the thing that really sealed it for me was after I graduated from journalism school, I was looking for a job and I was realizing it was so, so hard to find one. I was living in Chicago too, so my options were limited. And I felt like the industry in Chicago was very, it was more about who you know than what you know. And I, I didn't know anyone. I had no connections. And um, as I mentioned when we first spoke, I'm very underrepresented in this industry. I'm a South Asian woman, and there's there are not many of us. And so I just kind of was struggling to figure out where I fit. And I went to a panel discussion that they held at the school that I graduated from. And there was a woman there on the panel who said, you know, I decided to freelance out of journalism school. And all my friends say, you're crazy. How do you do that? There's no stability. But what I tell them is there's actually more stability because when you're in this industry, 
places are folding, places are laying people off. There's such limited job security in journalism that if you're a freelancer, if one of your clients folds, you have a few more. And that really stuck with me. So I, since the time I graduated, I've been freelancing consistently. I've had jobs, I've gone in-house, I've done part-time work, I've done full-time work, but I've pretty much freelanced throughout. And I think that's really true. There's definitely times when it feels like it's impossible to actually make a career work. But at the end of the day, I, I've had all these, I've had my eggs in so many baskets and that's really worked well for me. Yeah, I think that that freelance point is is very interesting. Um, it's definitely true. I think that um, I feel like every time that I log on to Twitter, it's another media outlet laying off half their staff. You know, it's been that way for like a decade now, unfortunately. So, so it definitely does provide a level of stability. How did you deal with the? Well, I don't know if you had fear of rejection in the beginning, but as someone who is constantly afraid of people saying no. How, how do you deal with that, you know, in the beginning and even now as a freelancer? Oh, that's so hard. I still I still don't think I'm great at dealing with it. I think sometimes you just kind of have to look back on your body of work and realize that, yeah, no's are going to happen, but yeses have happened too. I think when I'm feeling really discouraged, I like to remind myself that at one point I was a 13-year-old girl and I was obsessed with magazines and books and I loved Seventeen and I loved Cosmo and I loved Glamour and I've written for all those places at this point. So I think just sort of having your highlight reel in your mind and being ready to play that whenever you need to is key. Yeah, I definitely feel like I learned, I mean, this is true, I think, for a lot of creative industries. Um, For me, when I was in journalism, and even now, like, doing the blogging thing, that false humility, like, isn't really something that pays off in in these industries where you have to fight for yourself and kind of stand out from the crowd. Um, and, And so for me, at first, it felt uncomfortable. I felt like I was like, hyping myself up or, you know, to be like, no, I'm qualified. I've done this, this, and this. Like, I should be considered for this opportunity. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's like unnecessarily horrifying, especially, I think, for women of color. Some of the outlets that I've written for that are primarily women, it's still primarily white women, you know? So it's, you, you definitely don't always see yourself um, in, you, you know, in the people that you're working with, um, which, which can be hard. Yeah, absolutely. So I know that you mentioned that you are a primarily parenting writer, but you have three-year-old twins, which is like, I can't even imagine. I'm sure you get that all the time. I have one 18-month-old and imagining a clone of her is just like a, like really terrifying to me. <laughs> but how, like, I, I try to be careful with this question because I'm like very aware that men are very rarely asked, like, how do you bother, how do you balance fatherhood? And being a dad and uh, work, um, you know, it's something that we really only ask women. But I, I am always curious um, how work just plays into your life with kids, how the flexibility helps. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like being a working mom is like kind of a wild thing. So, yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing I've learned is that you just have to accept help wherever you can find it. I I don't have any hired childcare at the moment, but my mom lives two doors down. 
So I send my kids to my parents a lot and I, I couldn't do it without that help. I also, in some ways, think the pandemic, I mean, it has made things so much harder for mothers in so many ways, but it has done something positive to the work culture that we're working through, I think. I mean, my my husband typically travels for work Monday through Thursday, but he hasn't been doing that in the pandemic. And so he's been around and he's been, he gives the kids breakfast every morning. He will step in if I really need him to and take them off my hands, whether that's because I need to get some work done or whether it's just because I need a minute. Right. Um, and that has been a huge help. I truly couldn't do any of it without that little village that I've put together and that I rely on so much. I would also say that, again, I think the pandemic has done a few good things for women in the workplace, because I think there was always this really opaque wall between our work lives and our family lives. And we didn't just make it transparent. We completely had to knock that down in order to just survive and be able to continue working and take care of our kids and do it all at the same time. So I think we're finally having conversations about the challenges. I think it's finally not a big deal if you're on a Zoom call and your kid pops in. Like I remember when my kids were born, I I did so many interviews where I'd just like shove my baby on to nurse and just pray that they were quiet. And now it's like if my baby cries on a call, it's not that big of a deal. I think people understand that we can't just completely leave it all behind and go and work a full day and then, you know, not miss a beat before coming home. Yeah. You know, that's so interesting to think about. Um, as you were saying that, I was I was thinking that because perhaps for, like for me and my husband, you know, our daughter was born like during August 2020, so the height of everything. So we don't really necessarily have a comparison point for how people might respond to her wandering into my husband on a Zoom call or, <laughs> you know, me in a virtual meeting. Um, so yeah, that's that's really interesting to to consider and to think about. How do you set a schedule? Um, I've realized that if I have my daughter home with me, then I, to some extent, I mean, I know that like your your kids are a little bit older, but to some extent, like I have to accept that I'm not going to be as productive <laughs> as I will if I'm like in a quiet, empty house. Um, but I'm just curious with that, like how do you set your day to day and like how do you, how does productivity, you know, what does that look like for you? You know, I think that's actually one thing that's really challenging about being a freelancer. And in some ways, I think if you're like a part-time or a full-time employee, it's a little bit easier because you have a better idea of what to expect day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month. As a freelancer, it's I can have a day where I'm working a full eight hours, and then I can have a day where I'm working like an hour. And it's really hard to to plan that out. But I try to have my heavier work days Monday through Wednesday, and I send the kids to my parents those days. And then I try to get as much done while they nap or while my husband takes over to give them lunch on Thursdays. And Fridays, I usually do end up working a little bit, but I try to keep that as mostly a mom day, yeah. mostly a day to just hang out with my kids and do activities and have fun with them. And so far it's, it, it works sometimes, sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> hey, I love the honesty. Also, I'm like extremely jealous that your parents are two doors down. I'm like, note to self, guilt my mom into me moving even closer. 
because that sounds awesome, especially for help with the baby. Yeah. Yeah. We actually moved to be closer to them. We were living in Chicago. We were far away from them. And oh, gotcha. It was really hard. So it's it's definitely helped in so many ways to be near them now. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so as far as the freelance process goes, because um, this is a question that I've gotten a few times from people. And again, I feel like I'm not the best person to answer it because I haven't been like in the freelance journalism um, world for a bit. But if someone is interested in freelancing and not sure where to start, not doesn't have any relationships with writers or, you know, editors at publications. Um, I know there's no like right answer, but, but do you have any advice for that? Yeah. I, I mean, I want to be really, really transparent about one thing and it's that privilege has definitely helped me in that, in being able to be a freelancer, I have always had a financial safety net. I had parents who were able to help me if they needed to, they were willing to help me. And now I have a husband whose job is much more stable than mine. So I really, I, it would be unproductive of me to not acknowledge that. But I will say that if you want to be a freelancer, I think it's really important to make sure you have enough money kind of banked away for a few months, because it does take a while to sort of get up and running. I would also say that if you are at a job and you are interested in going out freelance, maybe if it's possible, go part-time and try freelancing alongside that first. And you have to honestly see if you like it too, because it's not for everyone. It's a lot of rejection. It's a lot of up and down. It's hard, like I said, to set a schedule and follow through with it week to week. But I think one thing I would do before you dive right into freelance writing is maybe like set aside a few hours every evening and just think about the kind of things you want to write and think about who's covering those things and then just kind of create a document for yourself and list the the names of the publications or the companies and try to figure out who edits the type of coverage that you'd like to provide for them, try to get their contact info and just kind of compile a list of all of that so that you can reference it really easily and not take up too much time digging for that information because every minute you spend working isn't necessarily a minute that you're going to get paid for as a freelancer. So if you have that easily accessible right at your fingertips, it can be a huge time saver and you can really maximize the amount of money you make that way. Um, so yeah, and I think also part of being a journalist in general, freelance or not, is being really resourceful. And I think that sort of exercise really helps you figure out how to dig for that information, dig for that contact info and put it all together. I'm sure that this is probably like varied over your career, but what percentage of the work that you're doing is assigned? Are you pitching everything that you're writing or or how does that work? I would say at this point, most of it is assigned, but I am definitely pitching as well. Um, when I pitch, I also have a few publications that I work with pretty regularly. So the pitching process is a lot simpler then because I don't have to sell myself as much right. if they're familiar with me. But if I'm looking to write for a new publication, that pitch can take a really long time to put together. And I honestly think writing an article is so much easier than writing a pitch. Um, but yeah, it's kind of a mix of everything. Yeah, I completely agree with you about writing it. Like, I think I actually 
I, I don't know what's more devastating, writing a pitch and getting no response or writing a pitch and getting an immediate no. Because I've had both happen to me. And I'm like, I don't know which form of rejection I prefer. Probably neither. But <laughs> yeah, it takes some getting used yes. to it for sure. Yeah, I think I would always prefer a no, because then at least I know I can try to funnel it elsewhere. But yeah, that's a, good, that's a good point. Yeah, there's yeah. nothing worse than sending a timely pitch and not getting an answer and being like, oh, I want to try to place this somewhere. Yeah. And then I'm also really curious, as women, as women of color, you know, historically underrepresented and underpaid in pretty much, you know, every industry, how do you negotiate a fair rate for yourself? And how, what advice would you give to someone who might struggle with saying like, no, I need more than $50 for this piece. Um, Because I think that's really hard, especially in the beginning. I mean, honestly, I would say I'm really, really bad at that. I am trying really hard to work on it. And I was also raised in a household where we never talked about money. And it almost seems like wrong to ask someone for more or to ask someone what they're making for something. Um, but I think that in the past few years, we've just been having more conversations about how important it is to always advocate for yourself. And I always tell myself that, you know, I don't necessarily need the money in the same way a lot of people in this field do, but I'm doing other people a disservice if I'm not fighting for what writers are worth and what women of color are worth. I think we all have to be doing that in order to make the collective industry better. I mean, I I absolutely regret that early on in my career, I definitely took on unpaid or very, very underpaid work because I wanted the exposure or I wanted the clips or the bylines. And they really can take advantage of people. And I think that this industry kind of has a way of weeding people out based on privilege, just because not everybody can do the unpaid internship. Not everybody can do the unpaid clip. Um, So I think it's on all of us, especially us as women of color, to really stand up and fight up, fight against that. Well, you know, thank you for saying that you still struggle with it. I think that that's like really refreshing to hear from someone who's very good at what they do and has been doing it for a while. Um, Definitely, I feel less alone in that. And I'm sure a lot of people will as well. It's hard. I think that I always feel like, you know, sometimes... Even when my husband is talking about like a salary negotiation, I'm like, you can't ask for that. Like, <laughs> but then he, a white man, asks and gets it, of course. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, lesson learned. Um, but yeah, I'm the same way. I feel ungrateful if I ask for more money sometimes. It's it's just like something that I'm constantly working through. But I, I love what you said about it being a disservice to people in the industry who can't afford to work for free, you know, to, to basically like show this field, like this does work, you know, there, there is labor, there are people willing to do this. I mean, I I definitely think that that's something, a conversation that we need to continue having. So thank you so much for that. Um, And then I was also curious when you're looking for story ideas, is there a, process that you follow or or how are you coming up with things as a pulled from your own life? Um, you know, since I know you do parenting work, but just like, how does that work for you? Yeah. A lot of times it is pulled from my own life or from a conversation I'm having or from 
a random musing that I'm having while watching TV. Um, I, I love The Bachelor and Last year, I placed a, a story about how they handled the first uh, season with the, the first male lead who was Black. Um, I pitched that to Cosmo, and that got picked up. So just kind of everywhere, you know, things I'm watching on TV, things I'm talking about with my friends or my husband or my parents, or they can kind of come from everywhere. And a lot of times they're coming from studies that are happening or things a celebrity is doing. It's kind of a mixed bag and it is all over the place. Sometimes it's heavier health stuff. Sometimes it's like, oh, Kim Kardashian did this and here's why it matters. So yeah, all over the place. Yeah. I I feel like um, once I left journalism, I had to it was weird to stop looking at everything as like, oh, I could write about that because <laughs> I was so used to like anything that happened, me like looking for an angle in my head. Uh, I know. And it's really hard to shut that off. Oh, yeah. There's so many nights when I can't sleep because I'm just like, oh, this happened and this could be a story and I could place it here and I can talk to this expert and I can do this. And it's, yeah, it's hard. <laughs> well, Zara, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. This has been so much fun. And uh, as I said, I get questions all the time from people who like want to know more about freelance writing. So I think this will be really illuminating. Where can people read the things that you've written? Thank you so much for having me on. Um, you can read things that I've written just by searching my name, Zara Hanawalt. And if anybody has any questions about freelancing, I'd love to chat or have a you know an email conversation with someone. You could DM me at, at Z-A-R-A-H-A-N-A-W-A-L-T. Love to give some advice if possible. Awesome. Thanks so much, Zara. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Asked by Ayana. I hope that you enjoyed the listen. If you're looking for a way to support the podcast, taking the time to leave a rating or review or sharing it with someone who you think may enjoy it is a huge help and goes a long way. See you next week. Thank you.